Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So let me just open with a brief word of prayer. Lord knows I need it. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity of sharing your word and just, Father, how you have um, caused me to really reflect on what Amos is all about. This is not a book that we often go to. And uh, I just pray, Father, as we sh- I share a little bit about what I've gleaned over the last few weeks studying this, that I can impart some of that and you would just touch hearts and encourage them to do what Amos has done. In Christ's name we pray. So, I think everybody recognizes that famous Amos thing. But what I'm going to talk to about, talk to about today is not going to be, it's not going to be about cookies. I think that is from my microphone. I don't know how to avoid. Just give me one moment, see if I can get it so it's not quite as irritating. That might be a little better. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. <sighs> going to be feedback. Sorry. I will tell you one thing, what, I, what I've come to know over the years is that when you're doing something, whether it's preaching from up here or whether it's sharing the gospel with somebody, Satan has a way of just kind of causing things to God, not quite work right the way they're supposed to, and it cause, causes some people to get annoyed. Frankly, bring it on. I really don't care because I know what I have to talk about today. So, getting into the book of Amos, which is in the Old Testament, and again, as I said, oftentimes we really don't read too much into that, because it's, it's one of these books, only nine chapters, but if you read it, first of all, you may not understand it, because a lot of the language that's in there is a little bit confusing, because there's a lot of, of, of pictures or metaphors that Amos uses to describe what he wants to talk about, particularly to the nation of Israel. But before I get into what the word is all about, let me just talk about two things that occurred just recently. These were two events that took place in our nation, and it's about two different men in two different points of time. But the thing that was interesting about them is they were just ordinary people. There wasn't anything special about them. One of these men was the son of a pastor down in the southern regions of our country. Another one was, I believe it was in Illinois, and he was raised um, out in the country as well. His father was sort of a farmer frontiersman, so he had a a very uh, difficult upbringing. It was very rugged out there. There was a lot they had to do to support themselves, and this young man that grew up uh, came up in very meager surroundings but rose to prominence in our country. They were simple men. When they were born, they had no indication of what God was going to do in their lives, and I know one of them for sure knew the Lord, and I know the other gentleman certainly knew the gospel real well, but either way, God used them for a particular purpose. You may or may not have figured out by this point in time, but what I'm talking about, and we just recently celebrated was Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King. So using that as an illustration, I think it gives you the idea that, okay, these were simple guys, but yeah, they rose to prominence. So how does that apply to me? Well, as I prepared for this, I was thinking about simple people, simple circumstances where you're called to do something that you may not want to do, but when God calls, you answer. And that's kind of how I felt when I got called a few weeks ago by Pastor Jose. Um, Occasionally, when he has situations where he has to be away from the pulpit, 
he has called on me, and I, I certainly don't mind it, but I have to tell you, when I stand up here and I have to speak with you, it's an awesome responsibility, simply because I know what I'm conveying to you is something that you're going to take in, and my, my hope and my prayer is that what you take in is what God wants you to hear and not what I'm saying necessarily. So well, as my words come out, just take what you need to take, take away from this today. So I say all of that to bring it back into what we're talking about today. And I'm told that this is going to work, so we're going to see here. And it does. So the book of Amos starts out by, he describing, by him describing who he is. It says, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So he starts out by identifying himself, and there's, there's nothing spectacular about how he's identifying self, himself because he's speaking very plainly that he's a shepherd, and in actuality, he was a sheep, ra he, ra he raised sheep. So he would raise them, and then, of course, he would probably sell them. And above and beyond that, he also had a sycamore grove, and a sycamore is a sycamore tree that grows in Israel. It has a, a little sweet fruit that it produces, and that was another thing that he did. So he was a very simple man, very basic. He knew farming, he knew agriculture, and he was not anybody special. In fact, if you go further into the book of um, Amos, you will see at one point, I believe it's in chapter 7, where he identifies himself as not, he says, I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. And that reference is simply to impart to the people that he's speaking to that he was not identified as a prophet. Many of the prophets that we know of, Isaiah, Hosea, and similar ones, were identified early on in their ministry. They proclaimed that they were prophets, that they had word of the word, and so they identified themselves with that, as that. Oh, um, Amos did not want to do that. He wanted people to know that he was an ordinary man just as they were. But here's the part that gets interesting. God called him to speak to the nation of Israel, to Judah and Israel itself. And God told him that what he needed to speak to them was that there was judgment coming. Whoa. Which one of us, any one of us in here, would want to go to our neighbors or the friends that we know that perhaps aren't living a lifestyle they need to live, which one of us would want to go to them and start proclaiming judgment on them? How do you think that would be received? Not very well, I'm sure. But that was what God called Amos to do. <clears throat> he called him to speak to the nation of Israel and to tell them that God had seen the nations over the years. It, I think it was about 150 or 200 years since they had left captivity. They had settled into Israel. The nations had divided. The northern part was Israel. The southern part was Judah. Ten tribes were up in the northern part. Two tribes were down in Judah. And they had been living this life in the land that God had promised them. But over the course of those years, they had continued to proclaim Jesus, well, not necessarily Jesus, of course, but they would continue to do the things that they knew of as a Jewish nation. They knew the traditions and the rituals and the sacrifices that were part of who they were as a people, but they had started slipping back and doing the motions, but not really doing what God commanded them. So it brings us to this, the judgment. So now um, Amos, understanding what he's called to do, Certainly not enthusiastic about it, but what he recognizes is that if God's calling him to do this, then he needs to do it. And so he stepped out in faith, and he's going now to begin speaking to the nations. 
And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Four little statements there, but each one is a, is a proclamation if you were a Jewish person. When he says, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, any Jewish person would understand that that is the Lord speaking because Jerusalem was the, was the seat of where the temple was, the true temple, and that's where God resided in, on earth. And so now, if the, God is roaring from Zion and uttering his voice from Jerusalem, you better pay attention because he's speaking to the people. This is God speaking to the people. They understood that. He goes on to say, the pastures of the shepherds mourn. That little phrase right there is a re reference to what Amos would know. As a, shepherd, as a shepherd and having raised sheep, it was very important for them to have pastures. But if God proclaimed judgment on the nation of Israel, that would mean that there would be devastation, there would be famine, there would be the, the land would be raised, and these other armies would come in and just wipe them out. So it was a very clear picture that that could happen. And so when he says the pastures of the shepherds mourn, he's simply saying the ground will be no more. There's not going to be any place for the sheep because it's going to be raised. And the top of Carmel withers. You might remember Mount Carmel is where Elijah confronted the um, prophets of Baal and where God caused what he caused. He caused their, their sacrifices had no significance at all. But when... Elijah spoke and prayed to the Lord. He did a mighty thing there, and there was no question at all. So all of these phrases are reminders and telling the people of Israel and the nation of Israel that God is there. He's speaking to them. And then the following verses are going to be somewhat repetitive, and it sounds a little bit confusing, but we'll go on and see how, you can, how we can take this and, and understand what it is. So as I go through these verses, you will see there'll be similarities. Thus says the Lord, for, the transgression, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael and it shall devour the stronghold of Behadad. When you read that, it's like, huh? What do you mean? Well, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, you'll see as we go through these various, and I'm not going to do every one, but as we go through them, that's going to be repetitive. When the Lord says for three transgressions of, of whatever the country or whatever the nation is, and then for four, what he's simply saying is it's been one sin upon another, upon another, and upon another. You have continued to sin, and you are not doing what I've called you to do. And then he's telling them, He's not going to take the punishment away because they have been this way, because they have disobeyed what he's called them to do. He will, wreck, he will, he will uh, cause judgment to come upon them. In this case, the punishment for that particular um, nation that was outside of Israel, they were, he's talking about the fact when they conquered um, some of the nations of the Israel, Israelites, what they would do is it says they threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. There's some commentaries which said that they actually drug logs would spikes them across the people. There's others that say some of the farm implements, they would cause them to go across the people. So they, they were just brutal, unbelievably brutal. So that's, that's kind of where it is, and God's going to cause judgment on them. And it says he's going to cause that judgment to be devouring the strongholds of Behadad. And then it goes on to say, I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashad and him who holds a, the scepter from Ashkelon, Ashkelon rather. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. All of those communities that are mentioned, those little parts, those are all part of what Damascus was. It's all on the eastern, uh, the eastern side of, of Israel. 
goes further to say, thus this says the Lord for three transgressions of Tyre, which is on the northern part, the northeast part of, the northwest part of Israel. I will not revoke punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. This particular case now is where um, he's talking about Tyre and... <laughs> can't use glasses for this. So he's talking about the punishment that's going to be upon him because... What they had done is they delivered up, they had taken people captive when they conquered them. They had taken them and they actually sold them into slavery. And again, they were related to the Israelites through, if I can get this correct, let me just check real quickly here. And I think I can give you an accurate fact. Well, what I've said thus far is they deported entire Jewish villages and sold many Jews into slavery. But what it also says is, let's see, Tyra. This, it was a main seaport city of Phoenicia, uh, the, the same thing, they had a broken peace treaty. So all of these things are talking about how these nations have come against Israel in one form or another. And we can go on and on if we wanted to, but I don't know if that's really going to help you a whole lot. I think it gets the idea across that each one that he's naming, and I believe there are, se in fact, there are seven of them, um, as he names each one, I know you can't clearly see the map, but those are all communities or nations all the way around Israel and Judah. And so what God is doing in this, it's a very clever way of, of delivering this to the people of Israel. What he's doing here as Amos is proclaiming all of these transgressions and all of these punishments that are gonna fall upon these people, what he's doing is he's kind of circling Israel. So they're going like from the north over to the west and it keeps going around. So all of these nations that had come against Israel at one time or another are all the way around Israel and Judah. So now as the people are hearing what Amos has to proclaim, they're listening to it. And mind you, you have to consider the fact now that the people that are hearing this are Jewish people. They knew who God was. They knew the blessings they had experienced. But over the course of these, the years, they had come to a point where they were experiencing great prosperity. Um, Syria, which had been besieging them for quite some time, had been subdued by the Assyrians. And when that took place and the Assyrians were leaving the nation of Israel and uh, Judah alone, because they knew some of the proclamations that God had, so it was a time of peace and prosperity. And quite frankly, as a nation, particularly the northern nation, they were, they were doing really good. The rich people were getting richer and the poor people were getting poorer. And God saw all that, and he was very, very much discouraged. He was very dismayed. I mean, God's heart was broken as he looked upon this because these were his chosen people. And so anyway, as the Israelites are hearing this message proclaimed from Amos, they're hearing all these nations around him, and they're kind of going like, yep, they deserve that. Yeah, they deserve that too. Sure do. Yeah, that's them. That's them. They're hearing all of these proclamations of judgment on these other nations, and they're kind of relishing this because, yeah, Exactly, they, they deserve this. And then what happens? What happens now is after they circle all the way around, after Amos circles all the way around, he comes back to the southern nation, the two tribes that are down there, and he says this. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes for their lies, have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. That's clearly telling these Israelites that they were, these were God's people. And he's reminding them that he had taken them out, out of captivity, that they had strayed from his law, from what he had commanded them to do, 
They weren't doing any of those things. They were just, they were in a lapse of luxury up in the north, particularly. And now it's hitting home. So can you imagine after hearing all of this going around them and after them feeling pretty confident about what, was, what God was saying because they truly believed that what they were doing was okay. They were doing all of the right ceremonies. They were doing all of the traditions and the sacrifices that were required. They worshiped in the temple. So all the things they were doing looked really good on the outside. Anybody looking at that nation would say, yeah, they're, they're doing good. But now... God's, God's challenging him. He's, he's, he's calling him out on it. He's saying, you've strayed away from my law. You are not doing what I've called you to do. Again, when you consider this, this is God's way of telling them that I've been watching you, I've been caring for you, I've been trying to bless you, I have blessed you, and how are you repaying me? How are you doing that? You are dishonoring me, you are disobeying me, you're not following what I've called you to do. And then he can, continues to say, this is now going up to the northern kingdom. The first one was Judah. He speaks to them. Now he's going up to the northern nation. For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous to silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down besides every altar and garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God. It may be a little bit confusing, but I'm going to walk you through this and hopefully you'll get the picture. And if at any point in time this is getting a little bit kind of like, you know, so get on with it. I'm, I'm doing all this to make a point so that you understand that there's a parallel before, behind what I'm talking about. Because as I read this myself and studied it and I was reading the book of Amos, I'm thinking of the parallels between that society and where we are now. And I'm not so sure if there aren't some significant similarities in what I'm talking about. And that's for you to judge and you to concern yourselves about. But I am just simply saying that God loves us. He cares for us. We are his promised people. He's given us the ability to be his people, to be part of that nation of Israel that he's Put together, there will be a time when we will all be gathered together as a family when we go to heaven. But the point is, judgment comes. And it's just like Amos, it's not a happy message to put out there, but it's true. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. When it says sell the righteous for silver, it's exactly what it is. If they needed to, if, if someone, perhaps one of the average people, had um, gotten to a situation where they needed to borrow or they had a little debt that they owed the rich person, if they could not pay that particular debt, that rich person would sell that individual for silver. And the needy for a pair of sandals, they would even sell a person just for a pair, of, if there, somebody owed them a, whatever, a pair of sandals, they would even do that if there was that kind of a situation. I mean, the most minute thing that was owed to somebody that had a debt owed to them the most minute thing, they would, they would be sold. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and let, turn aside the way of the afflicted. You get the picture. I mean, they just did not care about the people who were not as wealthy, the average person, the ones who were suffering, perhaps did not have a whole lot. The other one, this is very interesting, and again, this is a little bit graphic, but it's true. It says, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. Jerusalem was the true, the true center of worship. 
But the northern, the northern king, which was Jeroboam, was recognizing that some of the Israelites, perhaps, would want to return to Jerusalem for their holy days, to do worship, proper worship. So he came up with a brilliant idea. Well, rather than have them go there, let me set up a center of worship here in the north. So Bethel was one, Gilgal was another. So he set, <clears throat> he set up these centers of worship in the northern kingdom, figuring that the people could go there, and actually the people liked it. Because just like we got comfortable going to TV and watching it on, on TV for our Sunday services during COVID, well, here's a similar situation if you stretch it a little bit. For them, it was a lot more convenient to stay in the north, to go to Gilgad or to Bethel to worship and do the traditional things they're supposed to do instead of going all the way down to Jerusalem. And they became very comfortable with it, particularly understanding that, hey, we're doing it. We're doing what we're supposed to do. And where it says a man and his father go to the same girl in the north, they had temple prostitutes. So these were people that perhaps were young women or women that had been sold into slavery. They were at the temple, and they were prostitutes at the temple. Somehow that was part of the worship because they had become so profane and so depraved that they, they included that in their worship. And when it says a father and a son go into the same grill, one day a father may go to the temple, and part of what he did at the temple, perhaps doing some of the traditional things, he would be having intercourse with a temple prostitute. And the very following day, it's quite possible that his son could be going into the same woman. Very profane, very depraved, hard to hear, but it's there in scriptures, it's not a lie. And then God goes on to say these things. He talks about destroying the Amorite before them whose, sight, whose height was like the height of a cedar and who was as strong as oats, uh, oaks. rather. It talks about, I brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you for 40 years in the wilderness. I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. It was not, in, it was, is it not indeed so, O people of Israel? God's speaking directly to them. He's telling them now some of the things he's done for them. Again, he proclaims judgment, but he reminds them who he is, what he's done for them. And these are, just, these are just word pictures of what he's done for them. Bringing them up out of the land of Egypt, that's always a central theme for, for the um, Old Testament. You always hear that. We always go back to that because that was central to the, um, the Israel nation itself. And then talking again about raising some of the sons up. They were called to be prophets, so they knew prophets already before Amos and certainly after him. And some of them were declared to be Nazarites, which if you knew anything about um, Old Testament history, a Nazarite was a young man who was called to be a prophet, who was called to speak on behalf of God, but he would, pro he would uh, never have his hair cut, he would never drink wine, he would never do some of these things. And so God's reminding him, this is something else I've done for you. I've called up these men who are, who are, who are pure, who have committed themselves to, my, to, to me. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. So right off the bat now, here God is once again saying, I called them up, and now you, you are, are making them sin. You are causing them to sin because of some of the things you're commanding them or asking them to do, or your very lifestyle itself is causing them to fall into sin. Commanded the prophets, saying, you, will, you, will, you shall not prophesy. They did not want the prophets, who were called to be prophets in the north, the king did not want them to tell the nations about what was coming. And so they were actually telling the prophets not to speak on behalf of God. Then it goes on, the read, if you read the words, it says, flight shall perish from the swift. Those who were fast before, they're not fast. So if you were a fast runner and you were in wartime, you're not going to be fast anymore. And the strong shall not retain his strength. Whoever might have thought he was strong before, 
no longer will he have the strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. So if you were strong and you thought you were hot stuff, God's saying right now that there's going to come a time when you won't be able to do any of these things. If you're in, in, involved in battle or if you have to confront someone, you're not going to be able to do this because I'm taking all those things away from you. It goes on actually in the very end, and he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in a day, which is an absolute um, picture of humiliation that he's talking about. And here's the logic of God's judgment, because sometimes we hear all this, and right now I understand what I'm saying is not something that you embrace necessarily, but just consider this. There's a reason that all of that took place. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. He's being very clear about what he's done for him, and he's telling them flat out, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, this is hard to grasp because we live in a Western society. Our idea about justice and fairness is a lot different than what God's idea is. But God, because he loves us so much, there are times when he needs to allow us to experience some things that aren't very pleasant, and it's not because he doesn't like us. It's not because he's mad at us. It's not because any of the reasons that we might think it's simply because he loves us and he wants to draw us back to himself. And I think all of us can imagine those times in our lives when we've experienced something that was really quite devastating or difficult to embrace. And what is our first reaction most times? God help me. That's just how it is. That's the truth. And that's because in our hearts, because God has resided in our hearts, and even if we're not saved necessarily, our inclination is to call out to our creator. Whether you're a believer or not, People in the most de desperate situations when they're experiencing trauma or difficulty have a tendency to cry out to God. That's just how it is. Amos does a very interesting thing here in these, these few scriptures that I'm going to share with you. And I'll read it and let's see if you can catch on to what Amos is doing here. This is a literal thing he's doing with, liter with the literature and it would impart an idea to these people. To do, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare of the earth on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Do you understand those preceding verses? There's seven of them. I'll let you think for a second. If you have not caught up onto what he's saying, Amos is making statements that are true. Each one of those statements, does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Of course not. If there's nobody there, there's no reason for a lion to roar. Does a bird fall on a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? If there's not a trap, the bird certainly can't fall into it. All of the statements that he's making are true. And then we get to the last one. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? He's saying now that if, a, if there's disaster in a city or if there's judgment rained upon a city, you can be assured it's because I've done it. So there's no mistaking those preceding statements are true when he gets to the very last one. That is very, very true. Right down below, it says, the lion has roared 
Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Amos now is turning this back to himself so that they understand why he's doing what he's doing after he's talked about these judgments. The lion has roared, who will not fear? If I was in the presence of a lion and a lion roared, you could be darn sure I'd be a little bit concerned. So he's now saying, that's one, one aspect of it, but he's now saying the Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? He's telling them very clearly, the Lord has spoken to me, has commanded me to do this, to deliver this message to you. I have no choice but to prophesy. I have no choice but to tell you what God has spoken to me. I mentioned about Dr. King a little bit earlier on, and I looked a little bit about, I looked uh, up a little bit about what some of the things that were that Dr. King had spoken about, and I discovered in his I, Will, I Have a Dream speech, he actually quoted Amos, um, which was kind of interesting for me, and I, apparently what I'm gonna refer to in a few moments is something that many people, civic, civil rights people, have used this particular statement, because again, in Amos, it talks about those who are oppressed, those who are downtrodden, those who are really be, being subjected to, to the people above them that are really not considering who these folks are. So they've used this repeatedly in speeches that have been given in different commentaries. So this is Dr. King now quoting Amos. We hear these words and they inspire. And this is in the, I think it's in chapter seven or eight. Justice and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. It sounds like one of those refreshing water in the desert scriptures. I don't know if you remember this, but last week when Pastor Jose was preaching, he talked about that ever-flowing stream. That was a picture he kind of put in as he was preaching his word last week. And as I heard that last week, it was just confirmation to me this is something I wanted to talk about. So, so Dr. King used this, but we only have to read a little context, and that's where we get, wrong, get it wrong sometimes. When we read scripture, we read a part of it, but we don't want to have the whole picture because it may not be very pleasant. And in this particular case, what the words were that were said, they were very encouraging, but there's more to it before that. So it says just those six preceding verses in Amos that you can read, and we start to hear his prophetic edge. I hate your festivals and your solemn assemblies and your burnt offerings, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. So he's being very, very clear there. Everything that they are doing in the name of the Lord, everything they are doing to satisfy what they're required to do, but no heart in it. We, we prayed a little bit before about the heart of worship. They didn't have a heart for worship. They weren't honoring God. And so, again, this is a proclamation. If you read those verses, I would challenge you to, <clears throat> challenge you to do that today. Go into, into that chapter and, and read that about the, uh, what precedes it. But it says very clearly that God is not going to honor that. However, all of the book, there's nine chapters, almost all those chapters, in fact, all of those chapters speak about judgment coming down on Israel, but at the very end, at the very end of the book, God has a word of hope, because one thing we know about our God is he may, he may do various things in our lives that we don't always like, he may rain judgment on the good and the bad as well, if we deserve it, he will, but one thing we always know about our God is he always gives us hope because he's a God of hope, he's a God of mercy and of love. And here's towards the end of chapter nine. This is a promise that God is giving. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. 
I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. That's a promise. It's a promise that he will rebuild. So no matter how this world looks, no matter what it looks like to us right now, we can be assured that God has a plan for this world, and he will rebuild it, he will restore it. Israel will be once again a nation that's honored and recognized in our, in our, in our land, and that time is coming. I don't know when, but it's coming. Now we have an interesting little slide here, and this gets to what I wanted to talk about today. For whatever reason, the technology that we have is not working today. But I didn't want to go away today, after preaching the doom and, groom, doom and gloom, so to speak, without giving you a little bit of hope as well, a little bit of encouragement. I think we can all agree, um, we're all believers, most of us as far as I know are believers, we know all about the gospel. We know what God has done for us in our lives. We can relate to that. And we talk about that amongst ourselves. We're going to probably go over to Fellowship Hall a little bit later, and we're going to probably share a meal, and we'll have some good stories to share. Maybe some of us talk about blessings we've experienced. But what do we do beyond these walls and beyond Fellowship Hall? What do we do outside? What do we do within our community? Not to say we haven't tried, and we will continue to do so to reach the people around here. But what do we do as individuals? Because we're scattered all over. Some are from way, some from Newburgh, I believe. Some from Middletown, some from Goshen, some from Sussex County. So we're all over the place. What are we doing with what we know? What are we doing with it? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we talking to people about God? And I know what what the typical answer is. The typical answer is, I would share the gospel with people, but... I don't know enough theology. I don't know how to introduce that to people. I don't know how I can talk about Jesus without having a wide open door for me to speak about. How do I do that? When you came in today, you received a blank piece of paper and you received a card. So I'm going to ask you now, and this could be for couples. If it's a single person, you could team up with somebody or just do it yourself. I'm going to try to walk you through what this video would have told you But we're old school today, so we're going to do it right from in front here. This is something that was introduced to our denomination. Um, Actually, last year, it's called the Three Circles, the Three Circles app. You can actually look it up in the Play Store on your phone, uh, Three Circles app, and you could download it to your phone. And it's a very simple evangelistic tool that you can use. This is just one of many, okay? But it's a very simple way to convey the gospel to somebody who may not know it. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to walk you through this, and then perhaps I might even challenge you to try to do it with the person next to you and see if you could do it yourselves, but we'll see how that goes. So let's start real simply. What we're going to do on one side here is we're going to draw a circle. And I'll see if I can. You could do it either way, but I'm going to start on the left. Just draw a big circle there. That's not so hard, is it? So on the left, left side of your paper, or actually the right side, yeah, I'm looking left way. Let's try this again. On the right side of your paper, draw a circle. And when you draw that circle, you can put a broken line through it. So now you've got a circle, broken line through it. Let's talk about that circle for starters. Now I'm going to probably do an extended version because I'm trying to teach you right now. But once you get the, the concept of how this works, it's a very simple tool to use. So this circle would represent the world, okay? God created a perfect world. He created that perfect world for you and for me. But the world is broken. 
And we know the world is broken because you can look around you. There's devastation. There's wars going on. Some of them we don't even know about. There's all the turmoil within our nation that we're experiencing. There's things that are taking place now that in my lifetime I never thought I would see, but yet it's happening. There are families who are being torn apart. There's drug addiction. There's sexual perversion. There's all these things. So we definitely have a broken world. Would you agree? We have a broken world. So what happens? We're people. We live here in the, in the, in the Western civilization. So what do we do? Well, if we're feeling overwhelmed by the world, we want to do something to fix it, don't we all? So we start doing things like perhaps we get a new job. Perhaps we go and um, maybe we have a, we get a situation where, uh, well, I, I, I couldn't even begin to say, but we do all these things. You know, maybe uh, whether it's a job, whether it's a, a change of uh, homes, a bigger house, buying a new car, uh, trying to fix the person who has a problem. You know, we all have solutions for those that we know that are experiencing things. We all have a way of, you know, we know how we can fix you, and then we start telling them that. So we have all these different ideas that we can go outside the circle, okay? So we're trying to fix this broken world with ideas that we have. Here's the, here's the bad part. Here's the, here's the part that's the kicker. So for all these things that we try, we just come right back into here. So we try them, whether it's a new job, new relationship, whatever. It just snaps us right back in. It's a boomerang effect. I think you could relate to that. So that's where we're at right there. So now what happened? Well, God saw this. And because God created a world, right down here is another circle. That's right down below in the middle. And right in the center of that, you could put a great big cross. And then you could put an arrow pointing down and an arrow pointing up. So now on my right side, circle, cross in the middle, one arrow pointing down, one arrow pointing up. Broken world, we've tried to fix it, we're getting snapped back into brokenness, we're not doing much at all. God sees this, so what does God do? He sends his son Jesus down to earth, to this world that God created, sends him down, Jesus takes all the sins upon himself at the cross, your sins, my sins, the sins of past times, the sins of future times, all of that was heaped on Jesus. And Jesus on the cross, crushed sin, demolished it, absolutely. And because he was able to demolish it, he, he descended into hell, was there for three days, and we'll be celebrating that in a few months, and he rose again. Hallelujah, God rose again. And so now he has given us a way to understand that. So all we need to do between these two things is if we understand this concept that God has given us ability, whoever you're talking to, he's given us this avenue to get out of here, all we have to do is trust and believe. And so with that being done, we now have another circle here. And in the middle of that, you could put a great big heart. We're following along so far? You guys are awful quiet. You're a good class. So now we have this other world. And now this is the world that God designed. Not so much the broken one, but this is a perfect world with God's love shining forward. And if we've come here to this point where we've recognized Jesus as Savior, we've accepted that, we trust and believe him, we now have a path 
back into where God created us to be. Back in the world that's love, mercy, kindness, all the things that God is, we're being brought back there. But in order to do that, we have to also, the other thing we have to do is we have to repent. We have to realize that we are sinners. We accept what Jesus did for us. We recognize what happened on the cross and in the resurrection. We believe it. We repent from the things we're doing wrong. And we're back here in, in God's world, God's creation. And here's the beauty of the whole thing. If you've come full circle from a broken world, all of these things that you couldn't do to fix it, come down here and understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And now restore that relationship and you're back in Jesus' heart in the world that he created. Guess what? You take this very same story and you take it into a broken world. And you tell that same story to whoever you come across. And you let them know about this condition is not where you have to be. And a very simple thing you could use if you've gotten this all done, you could say to that individual, whoever they might be, which of these two circles do you want to be in? Because there's only two choices in this world. There's only two choices. There's only two types of people. Where do you want to be? Here or there? They have to make a commitment or a statement. Now, it may not work with everybody. Some people might turn you off. But it's a very simple, effective tool that you, excuse me? Oh, <laughs> so I hope you all pass that. Now, I could make you or I could cause you to want to do this with one another, but I don't think I'll do that today unless you really want to. I don't see anybody raising hands. Do you guys want to try it to the people alongside of you, or do you think you're okay with it? I don't want you to leave here today without thinking it's not something I can do because you can do this. And I'm also telling you, all of us, all of us have cell phones. All of us have abilities to get into technology. Look up the Three Circles app on your phone or on your computer at home. You can look it up, and it's a very simple outline. There's a, a, there's a variety of uh, videos that are present. That is one of them up there. But I obviously could not play that today, so I hope I did an adequate job of explaining it to you. But I want you to know that you do not have to go from this place and step out into a world that's broken and not have the ability to share what we know is true about God. So I'm, a cha I'm challenging you. I'm letting you know that you know, we are, people, we are people just like the Israelites back then. We were called by God to be part of his family, and we are part of his family. But along with that, there's a great responsibility. Just like the Israelites were blessed abundantly, they had a great responsibility to continue to do what God called them to do. The same thing falls on us. We've been called by God to be part of his family, and with that comes great responsibility. The Bible says very clearly, go and proclaim this to all the nations. And that's what we need to do. Okay, I'm being prompted. So this, Linda is my teleprompter. I can't read it, but she's my teleprompter. So here's a very interesting story. Last week, part of the reason I was, wanted to go in this direction is because of what took place last week. Um, I represent our church at the Presbytery level, which is a regional part of our denomination. And while we were there, um, a gentleman I've known for years, his name is Bob Stauffer, he is the individual who is over the entire denomination as far as church health and initiatives are concerned. So things of this nature are something that would come under his purview. And he shared, he's a, he's a pastor, he's been a pastor for many, many years. And he shared a story with us last week and he actually got choked up when he told this story. Um, his son-in-law uh, is down in Florida, Bob lives up in Ohio, and he went down to visit his son-in-law and his daughter and he has a little seven-year-old grandson. And when he went down there, his little grandson greeted him, and then his, his grandson said, hey, Pop, hey, Pap, do you know Jesus? 
And Bob was taken a little bit aback by that. It's like, well, well, yeah, you know I'm a pastor. You know I'm a pastor. Of course I know Jesus. He said, yeah, but do you know Jesus? This is a little seven-year-old. And so Bob had no idea what he was talking about. That little fella took out a piece of paper or whatever he had in his hands, and he started to do this gospel presentation to Bob. And Bob was, Bob was like, he couldn't believe it. He just could not believe it. Because here's a little seven-year-old taking a very simple tool, and he's telling the gospel. So he's telling it to his grandfather, but obviously he knows about it. So that, that just warms your heart to know that anybody can do this. So my, my prayer would be that this is something you embrace, consider it. Do not be afraid to be going out there and talking about Jesus. We got God on our side. If God be for us, who can be against us? Be bold in your faith. Proclaim what you know is true. Let people know about Jesus. I have an extended family, brothers and sister, brother-in-law, sister-in-laws, my own sister. We, have, we are blessed with nine grandchildren. We have seven great-grandchildren. We just recently got a picture of my, little, my great-grandson that's out in, um, in Colorado. A little three-year-old, the sweetest little guy you ever, I mean, just, it warms your heart to see him. So we have this family, and when I think about what this world is all about, what are we leaving them? We have little folks right here. We have people right here in our church that have family. What are we leaving them if we're not being bold about it? If we can't go out and proclaim the gospel, who can? There's your challenge. Consider it, and I pray you do something about it. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.